Chapter 18 of Esther Reed's Namesake. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed's Namesake by Pansy. Chapter 18 Love. But Esther was mistaken in her supposition that no one noticed the change in her life. Mrs. Victor, burdened as she was by a thousand cares, and her heart torn with a cruel anxiety, found time to remark one day that she had never imagined that sickness could have such an effect on a human being as it had had on Esther Randall. "'Not that I ever thought her an especially selfish girl,' she said. "'In fact, she has more than once quite altered her plans to accommodate me, but she had a temper that was ready to take fire at a moment's notice. And now, though she has trials and responsibilities enough to wear out anybody's nerves, I haven't heard her speak a sharp word. She has been as good as gold through all our trouble.' I am sure I shall never forget it. Selma, too, was observant, especially after the danger was past and her sister was gaining steadily, and Selma had a theory of her own that she imparted to her mother. I'll tell you what, Mamma, I believe that girl is in love. Who, Catherine? said the startled mother, and Selma laughed. Catherine? No, indeed. Or, yes, I guess she is in love with life. I should think she would be. I wonder how it feels to come as near the end of one's life as she did, and the girl shivered. But I wasn't speaking of Catherine, I mean Esther Randall. I know she is in love and is perfectly satisfied with it. Nothing else will account for the change in her. She isn't one bit as she used to be. I thought of it this morning at breakfast. I was rather horrid, I guess. I was late, you know, and didn't want my breakfast anyway. I didn't sleep well last night. I got thinking that it was just three weeks ago last night that we thought Catherine was dying, and I went all over it and said, what if she had? And then I couldn't help thinking, what if she should have another relapse? People do, you know, after as long a time as this. That Ellen Stevens did, you remember, but she was always an invalid and didn't have the right kind of care, and of course it is very different. But anyhow, I couldn't help going over and over all these things, until I was as nervous as a witch, and didn't get to sleep until daylight. So this morning my head ached, and nothing anywhere was just right. I complained of the muffins, and of the way my egg was cooked, and was horrid generally. Now you know, Mamma, the Esther Randall with whom we have been acquainted, would have said some sharp little thing, and gone off and left me to look after myself. But she was just as kind as she could be. She poached an egg beautifully for me, and made a fresh cup of cocoa, and said she was sorry my head ached, and was cheery and sweet all the time. I just know she is in love. Well, said Mrs. Victor, with decision, if that is it, I hope that all the girls with whom I have to do will proceed to getting in love, as you call it, as soon as possible. For Esther, in her present frame of mind, is the comfort of my life. I was afraid we would lose the new Esther as soon as Catherine was better and return to the old one, but we don't seem to. Some of this Esther overheard, and laughed softly. It is true, she told herself, I am in love, and am satisfied. Something in the phrase made her think of Aunt Sarah, and she gave an involuntary little sigh. How irreverent, yes, how downright wicked, Aunt Sarah would think her, to say that she was in love with Jesus Christ. Poor Aunt Sarah! Could she ever, possibly, be made to understand something of the sweetness and satisfying nature of Christ's love? What was such a religion as hers worth? 
She is keeping it all to die by, Esther told herself with a wistful little sigh. If there were only a way to make her realize that he is just as ready to give living as dying grace. I ought to be able to help her. I think her religion and mine were very much alike. A hope growing out of this thought lingered with Esther, and took from her the faint shadow there had always been about the thought of the home going. Perhaps she could help Aunt Sarah. And now they were in the last week of the vacation. A few days more, and the interests and excitements of a new college year would be upon them. Esther, who could hardly be said to have had a vacation, yet looked forward with the keenest zest to the thought of resuming the college routine. How good it would be to see the girls again, and, and the others. That last phrase was rather vague, but it seemed safe to include Mr. Langham, at least, among the others. One feature which marked the change that had come to Esther she smiled over when she thought of it. Whatever else I may be doubtful about for another year, I am sure of one thing, she had said to Faith Farnham, in one of her indignant outbursts near the close of the year, and that is that I shall not stay at the victor's one hour after I am honorably free. Faith had replied in sympathy, I think as much, and had reminded her that the Kimballs still wanted her. Yet here she was, at the threshold of a new year, still with the victors, and seemingly a fixture. Only that morning Mrs. Victor had said, I am determined on one thing, Esther, about which you will be glad to hear. There is to be a reformation in this family in the matter of promptness. You shall not be troubled this year as you were last. Even dear Catherine has thought of it. She said yesterday that one of the regrets she had when she was lying so ill was that she had thoughtlessly hindered you so many times. But I am sure she was no more thoughtless than the rest of us, and I told her we would all reform. Then they took it for granted that she was to stay with them? Well, perhaps that was the best way. Certainly she could not leave them now, while Catherine was still the subject of so much solicitude. A stranger would increase their cares very much. And besides, she gave one tiny sigh to the smaller family and presumably lighter duties at the Kimballs, and then dismissed them, and began to plan how to arrange her furniture so as to make a little more space. The victors seemed, in a sense, to belong. They had been through a summer of anxiety and responsibility together, and their interests had somehow fused. In Esther's possession at that moment was a letter from Mr. Langham, the only one that she had received. It was not in the least like the letter that she had imagined might come during those early days of vacation, when she reflected that possibly he would write some of those things that he had wanted to say. Its very brevity had surprised and chilled her at first, but after due reflection she felt that she understood why he could not write more or differently. My dear friend, so the letter ran, despite the fact that I hope to see you in a very few days, I am moved to write this line of congratulation that your long, hard summer is nearing its close, and that your sacrificing labor of love has had so cheerful an outcome. You will observe that I have kept in touch with your life, although I have forborne to burden you with a letter. I knew that your hands were more than full, and that you would have no time for correspondence. Besides, to be entirely frank, I found it difficult, I might say impossible, to write to you freely, without first telling you that which you will remember I begged permission to tell, and was denied. I am living in the hope that you will be less cruel to me when I see you again." 
Meantime, the ostensible reason for this note is to ask you to meet with my Bible class and their teacher on next Saturday evening to talk over certain innovations which I would like to introduce. Apparently there was nothing in this letter to quicken the pulses of a young woman. Yet Esther, who felt that she had a right to read between the lines, had known every moment of that busy day that it was lying in the bosom of her dress, where she had suddenly thrust it when she heard Selma's voice, and that it was linked with a great possibility. She had not permitted herself to question very much why Mr. Langham, if he had really meant what his words seemed to mean, had kept silence during those long weeks of burden-bearing. She had not known, until his letter came, that he had heard of her whereabouts during the summer, and during the first week or two had watched the daily mails with an interest bordering on pain, in the almost expectation of a letter from him being forwarded by her father. And this, she thought, would open the way for her to tell her mother and father about Mr. Langham. She knew that, since the early weeks of their acquaintance, when the name of Professor Langham often flowed from her pen, as the instructor whom she found the most interesting, she had been silent, because she had not known what to say. Would his letter, if it came, make plain to her what to say? But the letter had not come, and now that it had, there was connected with it a little questioning pain. Had the writer been purposely silent, although knowing all about her hard summer, to give her time to realize what she had lost, and prepare her to be less particular over what he considered trifles? She put this view of the case away as unfair to him, but it persisted in returning. That evening Mrs. Kimball, the wife of an instructor who lived near them, ran in with a plan. Esther had made her informal acquaintance after the close of college, and she had been very good to the overtaxed girl. Now she had a plan for the last Saturday of vacation. A few of them were arranging to go to Rocky Point for the day, and there was one vacant seat. Would Esther accept it as her guest? They were sure it would do her a world of good to get into the country, even for part of a day. We must get back early, she explained, for Mr. Langham is coming on the four o'clock express, and with his usual dispatch he has arranged a business meeting with his Bible class for the evening. He is to be our guest over Sunday. Mr. Kimball says it exhausts him merely to have such an incorrigible worker for a friend. By the way, you are a member of that Bible class, are you not? Then you have had your summons, I suppose? Fancy his taking time to write to all those girls. Well, we shall be back in ample time to put the library in its best array to receive you. You will go with us, won't you? Esther looked more than doubtful. Much work had been planned for Saturday by Mrs. Victor as well as herself, but that good woman proved to be an unexpected ally. She was hearty in her approval of the plan and persistent. Of course she must go, Mrs. Kimball. Don't be persuaded to let her off. It is a pity if she cannot have one day of vacation after such a summer as she has had. But what we would have done without her, it frightens me even to think. She has simply been worth her weight in gold. So Esther, warmed at heart with what she could but not feel was well-merited gratitude, and remembering that Rocky Point was on Melindy's side of the mountain, made ready with joy for her one day's outing, and managed, as she had meant to do, to have it include an hour's visit with Melindy. As she appeared at the little cabin, another guest was just taking his leave, a low-browed, sullen-looking, 
powerfully framed young fellow, dressed in the uncouth fashion of the male mountaineers, and with a fierceness in his black eyes, as he turned them for a moment on Esther, that made her half afraid of him. Melindy's mother was trying to do the honors, and her words reached the other guest. "'Well, it ain't no use to talk, Jim. Melindy is just as sot in her way as ever her pa was before her. They all took after him, her and the boys, every last one of them, sot in their ways. I tell em it's a lucky thing for me that their ways is mostly mighty good ones. I give you my word on it, Jim, I didn't say a thing to hinder you, but I didn't coax her neither.' I allowed that it was Melindy's business, and I just let her alone. But I'm real sorry for you, Jim, and that's the truth. Esther turned and looked curiously after the sullen man as he strode away, making no attempt at reply. Could this be a rejected suitor? Had girls like Melindy such questions to settle? And on what basis did they settle them? What a fearful problem love and marriage might become to one like Melindy! Would the girl confide in her? Melindy was calm as usual and dignified, but she was also frank. It was plain that she felt the need of someone to talk to, and her mother with rare tact went away and left them alone. That was Jim Slicer, Melindy explained. Yes, him and me has been kind of keeping company ever since we was young ones. He ain't only about a year older than me. Are you going to be married to him, Melindy? The girl slowly and gravely shook her head. "'Nah, I ain't. I thought I was, for quite a spell, and he thought so too, though he didn't ask me in so many words. But he says I knew well enough what he meant, and he thinks I'm mean. And he allowed that if there was another fellow in it, he'd kill him as quick as he would a wildcat, as if that would do any good. And there was a gleam of indignation in the honest gray eyes. Esther asked the question that seemed necessary to start the story again. "'Nah, there ain't any other, and never has been, and I told him so. I didn't go for to be mean. I meant it along back. I told Ma that I meant every single thing he did, whatever that was.' "'Then what made you change your mind, Melindy?' "'Cause I found out that he didn't like it.' The reverence in the girl's tone cannot be described. It marked unmistakably to whom the pronoun referred, and filled Esther with a kind of awe that showed in her voice. Melindy, tell me just what you mean. How do you know that he did not like it? Melindy regarded her seriously, even anxiously, and for a moment said nothing. End of chapter 18 Recording by Tricia G.